0: You're listening to a Calvary Young Adults Podcast, a ministry out of Calvary Baptist Church, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Calvary Young Adults is a midweek worship gathering of those in the Durham region who are between the ages of 18 and 30. We love the Lord, proclaim His Word, and celebrate His goodness. This podcast series is a release of the sermons from Thursday evenings. In today's episode, Daniel continues the Character Matters series by looking at the person of Jacob, a master manipulator who became a student of divine sovereignty in a wrestling match with God. Let's listen now. Thanks, Pastor Jordan and team. It is great to uh, be back and continuing in this series on Character Matters, where we're digging into these people... Whose lives are recorded from history in God's Word, and as we seek to grow in our character, as we look at their character, and we're looking at the good, we're looking at the bad, but ultimately it's pointing us to Christ and how we can grow in Christlikeness likeness and the likeness of God in the character in our lives. It's, I know it's been an enriching series for me so far to, to learn from my brothers, to learn from my study, and Uh, We pray that it has been enriching for you as well as we've started this journey in the Old Testament, and it's an exciting one. I want to ask you a question. Uh, I'm assuming, or I'm going to ask you, when you were younger, did you have uh, a dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, most kids have dreams of what they want to be when they grow up. You ask them and say, what do you want to do when you're older? And you might get a bunch of different responses. I know for me, it would have depended on at what age you asked me what I wanted to do when I was older? At one point, uh, a lot of points, I would have said I wanted to be a teacher. Well, I married a teacher, so I guess that kind of works out. Uh, but another point in my life, probably around grade 7, 8, uh, beginning of high school, if you had asked me what I was going to be when I was older, what I wanted to do with my life, I would have told you that I am certainly, with no doubt, going to be the next Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs the next CEO of Apple. And honestly, it was kind of a crazy thing for me to want at the time because I don't think we had anything with an Apple logo even in our house. Maybe like, I don't know, third gen, those iPod Nanos that were colors, I had one of those. But other than that, we had no Apple products in our house. So I don't know where this love for Apple came from, but if you had asked me, grade seven, eight, what are you gonna be when you're older? I was gonna be the next Steve Jobs, the next CEO of Apple. You know, other kids, parents uh, might give their kids an opportunity to pick an activity for the family to do for the day, and maybe uh, you or other, other kids would have said, oh, I want to go to the arcade today, or I want to go to the park today. For me, I wanted my parents to get us in the car and drive us to the Yorkdale Mall so that I could go to the Apple Store, because I was the nearest Apple Store. I'd love to go in and walk around the store, see what's there, see the cool people who work there, uh, see the cool design of the store. I loved Apple, and I wanted to be the next Steve Jobs. While other kids were uh, watching cartoons and watching, uh, I don't know, other TV shows, I would love to just sit and watch Apple keynote presentations, where Steve Jobs would walk on stage in his light blue jeans and mock black turtleneck and get up in front of a crowd and just do, do these really cool things to engage with the people he was presenting to, like pulling a MacBook Air out of a manila envelope or uh, pulling the iPod out of the little pocket on your jeans. I loved watching Steve Jobs and seeing how he engaged with people and how he got people so excited for what he was going to say, how people hunt on every word. I loved watching these things because I thought I would be standing in front of people one day for the only reason of unveiling the next big Apple product. Well, God had different plans for my life, but at that time, that's what I wanted to do. So what did you want to do? What did you want to do when you were a kid? Drop it in the chat. We love, uh, I don't have a a device with me right now that I can see, but we love looking at it after. So drop in the chat what you wanted to do. And then I want to ask, why did you want to do that? You know, for me, I loved Apple. I thought Steve Jobs was a pretty cool dude. Uh, And ultimately, really, I figured the guy's the CEO of Apple, he's got to have a good amount of control, and he's got to have a half-decent paycheck coming in every week. I thought with his position, the control and the comfort that he must have is, like, out of this world. Because after all, that's that's what we're to strive for, right? Control and comfort. If we can get those two things, if we can be self-sufficient, if we can be independent... That's what, that's what we're conditioned to go for. That's what we're told should be our goal in life. So, I imagine that if I could see the chat right now, maybe many of you would have aspired to do things like that for similar reasons. Because ultimately, all of us, to some extent, always want some sort of level of control in our life. If someone was to walk in here tonight and offer this to me, or if someone was to enter wherever you are tonight and offer this to you, the opportunity to be in full control of the rest of your life, you'd probably be tempted to take it. I know I would. Full control of the rest of your life. Hearing that, that sounds amazing because we want to be in control. We want to be comfortable. But those of you who are like me and have tried to control aspects of your life before, how does that leave you feeling? I know for me, it leaves me feeling tired. It leaves me feeling exhausted as I, as I go after this control that I want. Because I don't know about you, but the more I try and get control, and the more that I desire control, and the more control that I get, I see there's more to be had. So it's this endless pursuit of control of our lives that we were never created to have in the first place. Well, if that's you tonight, if you can relate to what I'm saying, there's hope tonight in the person we're looking at. We're looking at Jacob tonight as we continue in the Character Matters series. And Jacob is a man who wanted control. But as we're going to see in our text tonight, Jacob was a master manipulator who became a student of divine sovereignty through a wrestling match with God. He was a master manipulator who became a student of divine sovereignty through a wrestling match with God. Sounds like a pretty cool life. I'm looking forward to getting into God's word and opening up and uh, just looking at the life of Jacob and see how we can learn about this, this desire we have for control in our lives. But first, let's talk to God. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the worship that we've already been able to give to you through music. And now I pray, God, as we dig into your word, that, that you would be with me as I deliver your word. I pray that you would give me the strength to faithfully deliver your word, and that I wouldn't be in the way of your message, and that you would work in each person listening's heart, including myself, that we would be responsive, obediently, to how you desire to shape us and mold us in response to your word tonight. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at three main things we can learn about control from Jacob's life, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be working our way through Genesis a bit because uh, Jacob starts around Genesis twenty-five, and he actually goes till Genesis fifty. But it's the focus on him is from Genesis twenty-five to uh, Genesis thirty-five-ish. Uh, so, unfortunately, that's eleven chapters. We're not going to be able to read all eleven chapters. But my goal for tonight, our goal for tonight, is to take snapshots of Jacob's life to learn these things about the desire that we have for control. And the first thing is this, the the first thing we can learn about control from Jacob's life in Genesis is that humanity strives for self-sufficient independence. I'll say it again, humanity strives for self-sufficient independence, and we're going to see this a number of times throughout Jacob's life as we, as we visit some of these snapshots. And there's a few things under, under, this, under this first thing that we learn about our desire for independence, our desire for control, our desire for comfort. But you know, Jacob has a pretty interesting life. It's, as I mentioned to Matt and Pastor Nick earlier uh, this afternoon, it's crazy. I've heard, I've heard uh, sermons on parts of Jacob's life, but in studying this week the entire life of Jacob, like, this guy had a crazy life, and it's very interesting to read, and it's very humbling to realize that we identify with him. So Jacob is the uh, son of Isaac and Rebekah, and he is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. So last week, Pastor Nick talked about Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah, and then Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob. And we see that they, weren't, they hadn't had children yet, actually, that Isaac and Rebekah had been unable to have children. Until one day God comes to them and he tells them that they are going to have not one child, but two children. They're going to have twins. But then God gives a promise that was extremely unusual for the time, that the older would serve the younger. Now at the time, the older child in the family always had the best inheritance, the best blessing, the uh, higher status, and the younger children always served the older. But God said, you're going to have two children, and the younger is going to be over the older. The older is going to serve the younger. So sure enough, uh, Isaac and Rebekah had two sons. The firstborn was named Esau, and the Bible includes an unusual detail that upon Esau's birth, Jacob was grabbing his ankle. And it's an interesting detail to include, but that's actually where Jacob got his name, to follow after, to to overreach. And we see that in this Jacob's grabbing of Esau's ankle in birth, it's this foreshadow of this theme that's going to run through the first part of Jacob's life and this thing that we learn about ourselves, that humanity, by default, by our sinful nature, strives for self-sufficient independence, for control. There's a few things we learn about that. So let's get in and let's learn more about Esau and Jacob. So they grow up a bit. Esau turns out to be... Uh, more of a man of the land. He likes to work outside. He likes to hunt. He's, he's a real outdoorsman, while Jacob is said or described to have been content to stay at home, to, to stay around the tents and do, do more inside work. So we've got Esau, the outdoor man, and Jacob, the indoor man. So there's a, there's, a natural, uh, there's a natural conflict between these two personalities. But then to add to it, Isaac and Rebecca had favorites. Isaac loved Esau, and Rebecca loved Jacob, because there's nothing like a little parental favoritism to add to sibling rivalry. So we work our way through Jacob's life, and we see, we get to this first, this first snapshot, really, where Esau has been out hunting one day, and he has been out on the land, and he comes home, and he is hungry. Probably he was hangry. He was starving, He comes in and he's coming back to the tents and I just picture him, oh, I can't wait to get some food. And then all of a sudden he starts to smell. Oh, Jacob is making stew. Jacob is making Jacob's world famous stew. I don't know about you, but when you're hungry and you drive past like a restaurant that you love and you start to get that smell come in your car and it just smells amazing and you'd give just about anything to get a bite of it. I picture that's where Esau was at. For me, that's if I drive up Taunton and Harmony and pass Swiss Chalet when I'm hungry and those chalet fries and chalet sauce and rotisserie chicken, is the smell's working its way in my nose and I can almost taste it out of my mouth. All I want is Swiss Chalet in that moment. Well, that's where Esau's at. So he comes in from hunting and he, he finds Jacob and turns out, yes, he is making his stew. Yes, this is great, I'm starving. So he approaches Jacob and he says, brother, give me some stew, I'm so hungry. And Jacob looks up and He says, oh, yeah, sure, I can give you some stew after you give me your inheritance. Now, I don't know what went through Esau's Esau's mind at this moment, but he was hungry enough that he was like, dude, I'm going to die right now. What good is an inheritance to me? You're going to have the inheritance. I just want the stew. Because as we mentioned a few moments ago, the oldest son always got the greatest inheritance. So Jacob, I picture stirring the pot, both literally and metaphorically in his relationship, uh, stirring the pot of stew, getting that washing smell up to Esau, and he says, promise me. Make me an oath. Promise me that you are going to give me your inheritance, and then I'll give you some of this stew. So Esau says, yeah, whatever. I promise. I swear to you. I, I'll give you an oath. Whatever. Just give me some of that stew. So I picture Jacob grabbing a dish, pouring stew into the dish, handing it to his brother, saying, Enjoy, And in this moment, Jacob has just robbed Esau of his blessing, of his inheritance. What's the reason for this? Well, it's one of the first things we learn about our desire for independence. We learn that our desire for self-sufficient independence, our desire for control, will lead us to take advantage of those close to us. You know, we hear the story and think, Esau is the one of the fault. Who trades their inheritance for a bowl of stew? But really, we most often identify with Jacob. In our pursuit of control, in our pursuit of comfort, we're led to take advantage of those who are close to us, those who we love. That's not, that's not God's plan for families. That's not God's plan for his people to be taking advantage of each other, to, to try and to try and get what's best for what we think is best for us in cutthroat ways. Yet how often do we see the opportunity to get ahead? How often do we see the opportunity for more comfort, more control? And we take it, even if it means taking advantage of a brother or sister. We see it in Jacob's life, and unfortunately, often we see it in ours. But Let's fast forward a bit to another snapshot in Jacob's life as we continue through this journey. Rebecca overhears Isaac. He's about to die, and he's about to bless Esau with the firstborn blessing. I imagine maybe when Esau gave up his inheritance or afterwards, he might have thought, well, at least I still have my firstborn blessing. Jacob has my inheritance, but I'll still get my blessing. But Rebekah goes to Jacob, and she says to Jacob, Jacob, your father's about to die, and he's about to give Esau the firstborn blessing. Go in there and get it. Go in there and steal it from Esau. And Jacob says, Mom, like Esau and I, totally different. Dad's going to know. Like I know he's blind and all, but he's still going to know the difference between me and my brother. So Rebecca says, It's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll get you some fur to put on your arms, and uh, we'll, we'll cook up some wild games so your dad thinks that it's you. So Jacob and Rebecca enter this little plan to trick Isaac. And Jacob goes in to Isaac, and he says, Dad, I'm, it's Esau. I'm here for my blessing. And Isaac says, All right come here, come close, and let me, let me feel you, because you kind of sound like Jacob. So Jacob goes closer and extends his arm, where they've, they've put the fur on to make, to make his arm feel like Esau, and Isaac says, wow, well, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau, so it must be Esau. And he asks him again, are you sure? Are you really my firstborn son, Esau? Jacob looks at his father and says, yeah, dad, it's Esau. So sure enough, they enjoy a meal together, and Isaac gives Jacob Esau's firstborn blessing. And shortly after Jacob leaves the room, Esau comes in prepared to, prepare to get his blessing, and he says, Dad, I have a meal. I'm ready for you to bless me. And Isaac says, What are you talking about? I did just bless you. And in that moment, Esau realizes what happened, and he is angry with Jacob. Because that's the second thing we learn about when we are striving for control, when we're striving for comfort, when we're striving, when our goal in life is self-sufficient independence. It doesn't only lead us to take advantage of those around us, but it causes us to betray those around us. We see in this act, Jacob takes advantage of his father and betrays his brother so that he can have more control of his life, so that he can have more comfort in his life. And again, you and I can relate to this. When there's a promotion up at work, when, when there's money to be had, when there's a relationship to be had, how often are we tempted and act on that temptation to betray a brother or sister? When our desire is self-sufficient independence, when it's control, when it's comfort, it leads us to take advantage of those around us and it leads us to, to betray those who are close to us. But there's a third thing as we continue to advance through Jacob's life. <clears throat> like I said, Esau was not thrilled, and I don't blame him. So Jacob flees, because Esau resolves to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees, and one day he sees this woman that he thinks is beautiful and wants to marry, named Rachel. So he goes to Rachel's father, Laban, and he says, Laban, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. What can I, what can I do to marry your daughter? And Laban looks at him and says, Well, if you work for me for seven years then you can marry Rachel. So, Jacob really wants to marry Rachel, so he puts in these 7 years of labor, comes to the wedding day, it's a great celebration, goes through those 24 hours, the next morning wakes up, looks over expecting to see his bride Rachel, and it's Rachel's older sister Leah. Now, just as a side note, I don't know what took place as part of a wedding ceremony, in this time, I have no clue how he didn't realize till the next day that it was too late that he married the wrong girl. But Laban had deceived him. So Jacob goes to Laban and he says, "Come on, man! I told you I wanted to marry Rachel. I told you that. You knew that." And Laban says, "Well, Leah is older, so we have to marry her off first. But but work another seven years, and then you can marry Rachel. You can marry Rachel if you work another seven years." So sure enough, we read that Jacob does that, and he works another seven years, he gets to marry Rachel, and he now is married to both Leah and Rachel. But that's the third thing we see about our striving for independence, our strive for control, is that our strive for self-sufficient independence leads to our deception. And it leads to our deception in two ways. First, we're so focused on the the desire for control, we're so focused on on our need to succeed, We get like tunnel vision. We can't see what's going on around us. And we're far more easily duped by others. But that's that's a minor deception. The, The greatest deception is the deception we pull on ourselves. And that's the deception that we can actually have control of our lives. We get chasing control so much that we actually believe that we can have control of our life. And we see this trickle down in uh, Jacob's family. We see that Leah is able to have children and Rachel isn't, so Rachel gives Jacob her slave to sleep with and have children, so then Leah does the same, and then they get into this really weird arrangement where they're like scheduling times where they're going to try and get pregnant with Jacob, and it's, it's just crazy, but it's this, it's this crazy path that is led into from this desire for control, this desire to control their lives, to be self-sufficient, independent. And, you know, we look at this and think this is crazy. We think, we'd never do all this. But really, when we look at it, we're Jacob. We're all Jacob by nature. We all want that control of our lives. We all want to believe that we have our hands on the steering wheel of our lives. We're all Jacob's and it's dangerous in day-to-day interaction, but it is of most danger when it comes to our salvation. When when we believe that we work for our salvation, it is of grave danger to us. That is in direct opposition to the gospel that Christ brought. And that's the second thing we see from Jacob's life. The first thing was that humanity strives for self-sufficient independence. But the second thing I see in Jacob's life is that God requires dependence. There's no room for independence in God's house. God requires dependence. And we see this epic moment in Jacob's life where this message is delivered to him loud and clear. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Genesis 32, where where we're going to read about this, this wrestling match between Jacob and God. So we see in our story that uh, time passes again and Jacob is now traveling with his family to the land that was promised to him. And we see that Jacob sends his family ahead one night and he's alone. And that's where we're going to pick it up. In Genesis 32, verse 22, it says, During the night Jacob got up and took his two wives and two slave women and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions." Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket, and they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he answered, Why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. One night Jacob is alone and he feels a hand grab him, and he goes into instant fight mode. We don't know how long this fight went as far as duration, but we know it at least started in the night, and it went until morning. So it, was, it wasn't a quick fight. It was a, it was a long, drawn-out fight. And as, as the day begins to break, Jacob's mystery opponent, after, after a duration of wrestling, reaches out, and touches Jacob's hip socket. And in that moment, immediately dislocates Jacob's hip. So he says, you need to, Jacob is resolved to, resolved to cling to his mystery component who he was battling against moments ago, and his mystery opponent says, you need to let me go, it's daybreak. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. And the mystery opponent says, what is your name? And in that question, he He's not just asking Jacob for a name to put on a form. Because then the, the names had meaning. And to ask someone their name was to have a certain matter of, a matter of control, a matter of uh, power in their life. And since their names had meaning, to share your name meant something to reveal your character. So the man says to Jacob, tell me your name. And Jacob replies, Jacob, the overreacher, the follower. The one who manipulates, the one who betrays, the one who's always after control. And this mystery opponent looks at Jacob and he says, You don't have to be Jacob anymore. I'm making you Israel today because you have wrestled with man and you have wrestled with God and prevailed. So Jacob says, Tell me your name. And the mystery opponent says, You don't need to know my name, you know who I am. And he blesses Jacob and goes. Now, commentators are divided on, on who Jacob's mystery opponent was, but we know based on this interaction that it was either an angel or it was a messenger from God or a, a Christophany, an early sighting of Christ in the Old Testament. But regardless of any of those things, we know that it was a, a messenger of God who acted on behalf of God to communicate this message to Jacob, that you do not have to be an independent, self-sufficient, always manipulating for control person. You can be made new today. God can make you new today. Depend on him. And there's a very real illustration of this dependence as as this this angel or God himself reaches out and dislocates Jacob's hip in one touch. And Jacob Jacob hung there clinging to his opponent who he had been wrestling with just moments ago. This, person, this, this messenger of God says to Jacob, you don't have to manipulate anymore. But there's an interesting thing in this text because it says that he had wrestled with man and with God and prevailed. And as, as we look in later texts that comment on this, uh, prophets like Hosea comment on this and refer to Jacob as prevailing in a wrestle with God. But I don't see any prevailing here on Jacob's part. See, God walked away unchanged because God cannot be changed. So how did Jacob prevail? See, Jacob's prevailing was not a matter of winning winning a fight. Jacob prevailed because finally he realized the darkness of the path he had been on of trying to control his life. And finally, he realized his need for dependence over independence At last, he became aware of his state apart from God, hopeless and helpless. One author writes, The nature of Jacob's prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and wrought in him the spirit of submission and self-distrust, that he had desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all this painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by speaking peace to him. And this is the gospel message that Christ brought to us. Self-sufficiency, it leads down dark paths. We mentioned some of them earlier. But Christ is saying, don't depend on yourself anymore. The world tells you you can depend on your works to be saved. The world tells you if you're a good enough person, you can go to heaven. But that's not true. It's not good enough. The world tells you you can control your own fate, you can control your life, but you will get exhausted. You will become a manipulator, a betrayer, a deceiver, and someone who is deceived. No, Christ's gospel is not that. Christ's gospel is depend on me. He comes to us and says, you don't have to be Jacob anymore because we're all Jacob by sinful nature. We all want control of our life. Yet God comes to us in Christ and says, you don't have to depend on yourself. Don't depend on you. Depend on Christ. Depend on me. Depend on my perfect life. Depend on my death. Depend on my resurrection. Depend on my conquering over sin and death in your life. We we strive, we desire, control, self-sufficient independence, but God requires dependence and in that dependence brothers and sisters we find great rest you know there's third thing i see in jacob's life just as we wrap up and it's this god goes to great lengths to grow our dependence on him god goes to great lengths to de- grow our dependence on him sometimes it's through seasons of great joy Other times it's through really hard and challenging seasons and sometimes it's both. My wife and I are realizing that uh, we're seven weeks today away from a a season of great joy as God has blessed us with this gift of a child that's going to be entering our lives. But we're also very aware that this is going to open up a whole new realm of opportunities for God to grow our dependence on him. We see in Jacob's life that God allowed him to try and control things for a while. He allowed Jacob to to try and manipulate and betray and deceive others, to, to try and try and chase this control that we all chase. But then God came to Jacob himself. God encountered Jacob himself. And he gave him a new limp and he gave him a new name. And that new limp went with Jacob, as far as we know, for the rest of his life as a reminder of his dependence on God. And that new name, Israel, was saying, you don't have to be Jacob anymore. You don't have to be your old self. You can be new in me. And today God offers us the same thing, that we can be new in him. We don't have to be Jacob anymore. See, God wants a relationship of commitment, not of personal benefit. It's not about how we can... Salvation isn't just another opportunity for us to control someone, to control God, to to manipulate blessing from him. God is all about commitment. And see, that's why so many want Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. Because for Jesus to be my Savior, it requires a certain amount of dependence for me to depend on Christ's work in order... To, to have that transaction, to be saved, to have him with me, to have eternal dwelling with him. But for Jesus to be our Lord, that is a daily test of dependence in our lives, brothers and sisters. That is a daily test of dependence in our lives. As, as we consider Christ as our Lord, that means that everything we think, everything we say, everything we do must be put through God first, through his word, through his will in our life. And it means that we submit to everything God does in our life, regardless of what it's like. That is a daily act of dependence. That is a great challenge to our human nature, to our sinful nature, our sinful desire for the total control of our lives. Yet it is so rewarding to find rest in Christ, knowing that we can never even get in control no matter how hard we try, but that God is totally in control. And God, not in cruelty, but in great grace, goes to great lengths to grow our dependence on him. So perhaps you're wrestling with God tonight. Perhaps you are in a season right now, whether it be joyous or really challenging, that that you're wrestling with God, that God's wrestling with you, Maybe you're in a moment where God is giving you a limp to grow your dependence on him. If your desire in life is is simply comfort and control, then a limp is devastating. But if your desire in life is to grow in dependence on God, then a God-given limp, that's God-glorifying, that's that's, that's, a, that's an opportunity for you to grow in godliness. And even though you're going to have this limp and it's going to hurt and it's going to be challenging sometimes, if we grow in dependence in God and that is, our, that is our greatest desire, give me two limps. Give me whatever it takes to grow in dependence on you, God. And we know with Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel, that God did great things with him, that he did great things with his people. That's, that's where God's people came from, the Israelites. That's not, Israel was a person before it was a place. And God used Israel to be the father of his people who we journey with all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God goes to great lengths to grow our dependence on him. And if we're, if we're only concerned about control, a limp, devastating. But if we're concerned about growing in dependence on God, a limp will be God-glorifying. I want to end with a quote I've read recently in a book by Tim Keller, who's a pastor down in New York City, called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's a great book on uh, really learning the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and uh, how, how how we can come alongside those who are suffering and how we ourselves in suffering can walk with God. And throughout this book, there's, there's many testimonies that are shared of people who have gone through hard times, people who have suffered greatly. And there's one that really stuck with me. It was, it was a husband and wife who had gone through, like, a modern-day Job situation where they had lost children, they had lost their health, they had lost jobs, they had lost financial stability. They had every reason to doubt God. They had every reason to abandon God. They had every reason to question God's goodness. They had every reason to question God's existence. And yet, this is a direct quote from them in reflecting on their experience that they were still in. They say that we've come to realize that we should not have been striving for stability and comfort, but for total dependence on God, From whom we draw strength. So, what are you striving for tonight, brothers and sisters? Are you striving for control of your life? Or is your main goal in life dependence on God, growing in dependence on Him? Maybe tonight, maybe right now, God is saying to you, You have believed in me, but you have always tried to manipulate your life. You have always tried to manipulate situations. Today is the day you don't have to manipulate anymore. You can release that burden. You don't have to try and control your life anymore because I love you deeply, my child, and I am in control, and I am a good, good father. Acknowledge that control in your life today. We don't give God control. He's in control. But acknowledge that control in your life today. Depend on God as Lord and Savior of your life, and you will find rest. Guys, we don't, we don't have to be Jacob anymore. God, God can give us a new future in Christ. He can give us a new name, and he can give us a new way forward of depending on him. Because we know that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what are you striving for? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this evening. I, I thank you for this lesson that you have been working in me this week with as I've been preparing this, that I want too much control sometimes. God, I pray that you would release me from that desire and that you would, you would work in me to bring me to total dependence on you. God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters watching tonight, that wherever they are, that you would be working in their hearts to, to grow them, grow us in greater dependence on you, God, because we know that ultimately you are in control and you are a good, good father who loves his children. So we can fully trust our trust you, we can fully throw ourselves on you. We can fully depend on you, God. Thank you that you have provided a way for us not to be Jacobs anymore, but that we can have a new name and a new identity in your son, Christ. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, check out our new podcast series, Living in the 66 a conversational series as we walk through God's word chapter by chapter and seek to discover how we can apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and until next time, blessings.